Originally, the word prat meant buttock. So a prat fall is when you fall on your butt. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, we've been having some fun, maybe more fun than we probably should, talking about insults to intelligence. But the language is just so rich here. So many of these terms are just colorful, and people have obviously put some time into thinking about the ones that should survive the test of time. I think we have a good list to work with this time. Uh, let's start with the word dope. Yeah, that's certainly a classic. goes back a long way. Yeah. It originated in English from a Dutch word, dope, D-O-O-P, uh, for a dipping sauce uh, liquid that you'd use in dining. Uh, but then it got extended to other kinds of gunk, lubricants, varnish, uh, fuel additive, any kind of gunk applied to a surface. Uh, you dope uh, a sail, for instance, by spreading something on it. And then it being used a lot by people who worked with their hands in creating things, it came to mean that any unspecified substance or mixture, it could be a synonym for stuff. Give me that dope over there. Mm-hmm. There's plumber's dope, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you smear on the threads when you're going to screw the pipe together. Mm-hmm. But in the mid-19th century in the U.S., it came to mean stupid person. And it may have to do with another meaning, which is as an illicit drug, specifically opium and later other opiates. That was called dope. And so to be dopey was to be someone who was drugged uh, under the influence. It has, uh, interestingly, some positive meanings too, like uh, give me the straight dope means give me the genuine information, the useful stuff. Mm-hmm. And now in youth slang, like a lot of other words that get turned upside down by young people, dope has uh, been used in rap and in common teen slang and 20-something slang. Uh, since the 1980s to mean good. So it's just a general adjective meaning good. That's really dope, man. Mm-hmm. It means it's great. It's wonderful. Uh, and it's very prominent right now in the very popular podcast by Phoebe Robinson and Jessica Williams called Two Dope Queens, in which uh, neither one of them <laughs> uses drugs, interestingly. And uh, they just use it as a joking reference to themselves as uh, two wonderful young women who are very clever and very funny. They host a show that consists of their own little dialogues interspersed with stand-up routines by various comedians, and they emphasize uh, multicultural comedians especially. So it's extremely varied. It's a sort of showcase for people, but they've also had some big-name stars on the show as well. So anyway, dope certainly gone through a lot of meetings. Right. Yeah. And that's one that definitely is a real, real classic. Um, Another one that uh, is still around, a real classic associated with the student being punished in the corner, the dunce. Where do we get that from? 
we all have that image from old cartoons and book illustrations of the naughty or uh, poor student being sit to the corner with a dunce cap on a paper cap with the word dunce written on it saying uh, you're stupid although it seems like dunces were really troublemakers rather than uh, stupid so they were punished by being called stupid instead of punished for what they actually were doing was you know throwing spitballs or whatever yes but this has a fascinating origin back in the 16th century the name dunce was a personal name after duns scotus uh, now the duns scotus was actually originally named john duns scotus and in this period, a lot of people didn't really have last names. He was really just John from the town of Duns, which was in Scotland. And you Latinize that, and it comes out of John Duns Scotus. He was a theologian, philosopher, what's called a schoolman. Um, didn't mean that he was a school teacher putting people in Duns caps. A schoolman went a scholar who studied especially theology. It's always associated with Christian theology in particular in the Middle Ages and early Renaissance. Um, he was famous for his very subtle and complex reasoning and he impressed a lot of people who then studied his works and followed him closely and sought to imitate him and his style and those people came to be called Dunsmen. So a Dunsman was somebody who was really into this a very obscure complex kind of reasoning about theology but very quickly, some people who didn't think highly of this sort of tangled logic started using it as an insult. So uh, a dunceman was somebody who used overly complex, subtle, sophistical reasoning. And uh, it also implied that somebody who had studied books a lot, that all this study had left them dull and stupid, um, had no liberal education. A dull pedant was a dunce. So in this case, it's more on the side of the teacher than the young student. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it just devolved into one who knows co no capacity for learning, a dull-witted, stupid person. And that's where the origin of the dunce cap comes from, which looks alarmingly like the tapered hats that were worn by the KKK, but also harks back to the Inquisition, right. where they wore those kinds of hats too. I don't know if any of that connects to each other or how it does, but anyway, the dunce cap is really familiar. Right, and uh, SCOTUS we think of today as the initialism or the acronym for the Supreme Court of the United States. Yes. <laughs> you may think of them as dunces, but that's not where it comes from, right? It's John Duns Scotus. And they do sometimes engage in pretty tangled reasoning. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So we could make the connection there. Um, what about a goof? Where does this come from? I think people use the word more as a verb these days, goofing around. Uh, acting silly and to goof can also be used without the ing but originally um, early in the 20th century goof comes around but it's pretty obscure it may be derived from an old french word goth g-o-f-f-e and i wasn't able to track down much information about that at all supposedly meant awkward or stupid um, and was used in english early in the 16th century now, there's a very similar word, gaff, that most people know that's used a lot, G-A-F-F-E, 
which is directly from French, which means uh, a mistake, an error of some kind that is embarrassing. And you might be stupid to do such a thing, but often very smart people commit gaffes. So I don't think it comes from gaffe. It seems to have this goff meaning. By mid-20th century, a goof became a mistake. So uh, if you commit a gaffe, it could be a goof as well. And it's a goof because it's something a goof would do. So the two words kind of merged at that point. And of course, the most famous goof of all is Goofy, the Walt Disney companion of Mickey Mouse. And uh, Mickey, of course, is very bright and curious and adventurous. And Goofy is his dim-witted pal, who um, is also very entertaining in a lot of other ways. He's actually, in European comics, been turned into a superhero. I don't think most Americans are familiar with him. But originally, Goofy was called Dippy Dog. And somebody who was kind of silly and dumb was called Dippy. And uh, Dippy looked just like Goofy. And uh, just all of a sudden, in the newspaper strips where it was going on, the name was changed from Dippy Dog, D-A-W-G, by the way, um, to Goofy. And dropped the dog. And, of course, one of the strange things about the world of funny animals comics is that you have Pluto, who is a funny dog, and he's a dog, but Goofy, who is drawn as a sort of humanized, humanoid dog, is a human. So um, sometimes the cartoonists have fun with this distinction of uh, what's an animal and, and what's a person in the world of funny animal comics. Now, Goofy walks on two legs. Yes. And he wears clothes. <laughs> and he wears clothes, right? And Pluto walks on four and does not wear clothes. Right. And Goofy mispronounces a lot of words, and he's kind of a rustic character. But extremely uh, kind-hearted and well-meaning, and uh, always trying to be helpful, uh, makes a lot of mistakes, but uh, he's basically quite lovable. And during the uh, 50s, the Disney TV show did a lot with the uh, Goofy cartoons of Goofy as a kind of illustrating various scientific concepts that they were going to do and you know he usually wound up plummeting down a cliff or something with his uh, trademark yell which i won't try to <laughs> recreate um he also has a nephew can't remember his name who is very smart and as a sidekick in some comics anyway i'm kind of fanatical about disney comics so um excuse me if i tend to run on about it well, I'll leave it to you to point out to us that Goofy was originally called Dippy Dog. That's a new one to me. I had no idea that character had existed. Um, what about the word goon? This is a really wide-ranging word. Yeah, goon. With lots of meanings. Right. So originally a G-O-N-Y, goony, was a stupid person, and it may possibly come from a Scottish word. It evolves into goonie and is an adjective. So a goonie person is referred to as a stupid person. But then by the 1920s, it's gone back to a noun again, and a stupid person could be called a goon. And sailors called albatrosses goonie birds because they look so awkward and silly when they're landing. They're actually highly elegant in the air 
remarkable. I had the interesting experience recently of being in Hawaii, on Kauai, and being able to see a fledgling albatross, which was uh, gray rather than white, and had these puffy pin feathers, sort of like the feathers that a baby chick would have, only it was about a foot across. I mean, it was a big bird, even as a baby. Albatrosses, of course, are tremendous when they are grown up. And uh, he wasn't doing much. I wouldn't say he was stupid. I would say uh, you have a lot of potential. But anyway, I think it's really unfortunate that they got called Goonie Birds. In the 1930s, a thug that was hired to terrorize workers was called a goon in the U.S. And here's a quotation. In the Pacific Northwest, we hear the word goon on every hand. Locally, a goon is a member of a labor union's beef squad. That is, a person of imposing physique and inferior moral and mental qualities who can be depended on to cow and frighten recalcitrant union members. So this was an insulting term used for people who tried to threaten people who were reluctant to join the union into doing so. And then later it got extended to organized crime. So a goon was a thug who worked for organized criminals trying to intimidate people, often successfully. And these union busters would also be the beef squad or the goon squad, right? You could call it. Yeah, well, they weren't union busters. They were union builders. I'm oh, sorry, union, okay. The goons were supposedly uh, on the pay of the union, trying to force other people into being part of the organization. One odd use of goon is associated with the BBC radio show, The Goon Show, which ran from 1951 to 1960, almost incomprehensible to Americans. It used to be carried on several public radio stations in this country, and including the one where I was at Washington State University. I must say I never became a fan because I just couldn't follow the extreme accents that they adopted. But there were four comedians who made up the goons, Spike Milligan, Harry Seacombe, Michael Bentine and Peter Sellers, and sometimes they did act extremely stupid and mostly extremely silly. They were kind of the forerunners of the Monty Pythons, which the Pythons, of course, being on TV rather than radio, and Peter Sellers, of course, went on to a very famous career, Spike Milligan, quite a talented playwright, in addition. And Milligan was the leader. And Milligan took the name Goon from the Popeye comic strip, which was actually called Thimble Theater, took 10 years before Popeye took over. And he introduced a character, or rather, Elsie Seeger, introduced a character called Alice the Goon. And she was an eight-foot-tall guard of the evil sea hag. In 1933, uh, she had a huge nose, no mouth, and extremely hairy forearms and legs. They were bulgy like Popeye's, but just covered with hair, very much like an animal. Uh, later, she's separated from the Sea Hag and lives on Goon Island with the other goons, and there's all kinds of them. I shouldn't say all kinds of them. There are lots of them, all looking very much like Alice. But um, Alice, uh, although she's a very threatening character at first, turns out to be kind of simple-minded, goony, <laughs> but kind. And she becomes a babysitter for Sweet Pea. Well, again, I'll leave it to you to come up with the history of comics and how it relates to all of this. Um, I hadn't been aware of the character Alice the Goon. Now, let's move on to nincompoop. We mentioned Ninny and Ninny Hammer before, but this one actually has a little bit more, uh, I think it's uh, permeated a little more deeply, right? Yeah, certainly around for a very long time. The first occurrence in print was 1673. So nincompoop 
uh, has been extremely long-lived and very lively still. Uh, and uh, I hadn't found a lot else about it. The poop part probably helps to keep it alive. Whether the comp part has anything to do with non-compos mentis, I don't know. But uh, nincompoop, definitely a dumb person. Mm-hmm. And we also have nitwit. Oddly enough, this isn't a very old word, as these things go. 1914, so maybe if you're young, you think uh, over 100 years ago would be a long time ago. But as, as word history goes, it's the day before yesterday. So 1914, the first citation, a knit is a louse egg. And if you've had kids who had to have their hair combed through for lice, you will have heard the word knit. That's the, the little eggs that have to be found to get rid of the lice. So a knit means very, very tiny. So something that's really little is a knit. And so knit picking is not only getting rid of the lice in your hair, but being you know very picky about something when you're nitpicking, you're paying attention to tiny little things. And those of us who write about word usage are often accused of being nitpickers. Exactly. Yeah. But a nitwit is someone whose wits are as small as a little tiny louse egg. And so almost wet less. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that nitpicker thing is it gets generalized to doing any work are looking deeply at anything that's considered trivial or small to certain people. It's definitely also uh, has negative connotations. Uh, what about oaf? I think it must be older than nitwit. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a very old word. It's not so often used today to mean a stupid person. Uh, from its earliest uses, it was a clumsy, rude, boorish, usually man. And it has an origin that's connected with the word elf. Um, elves and fairies both had a reputation for snatching infants in their cradle and exchanging them for their own child and keeping the good child, leaving you with a stupid one, uh, one that didn't have as much wits as a human child would have. And the first spelling we run into is O-U-F-E. It also, sometimes you see it with the L in it, A-U-F or A-U-L-F, meant elf's child, a changeling. So um, that oaf had that meaning of being mentally incapacitated. And the idea was that this can't be my real child. I would have had a smart child. This one is a changeling. It's an oaf. Huh. Okay. I didn't know anything about the origins of that one. That's all buried long in the past. And now we don't think of oafs as so much stupid as just being clumsy and boorish. Certainly well understood, though, Oaf, but let's talk about a couple that are not known too well, at least in the U.S. Um, we have schnook. That's a Yiddishism, Yiddish slang for a dupe, a sucker, a simpleton, uh, or a, just a pitiful wretch. So somebody says schnook is, somebody, oh boy, you fell for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. If somebody phones you up and say, hi, I'm from Microsoft, and um, I'm seeing that your computer is infected, and uh, we can fix that for you <laughs> if you'll just uh, let me into your computer. You know? and you, if you fall for that, you, know, you might be a schnook. <laughs> I was just reading this article in the AARP bulletin. So there was a study by Nick Nikiforakis, assistant professor of computer science at Stony Brook University in New York, found close to 9,000 domain names affiliated with these kind of tech scams. And um, there's a Microsoft study showed that a whopping four out of five Americans reported having some contact with a tech support scam. 
More than a third continued interacting with a fraudulent organization, and about one in five lost money. Oh, dear. That's a lot of people. Yes. Yes. Yeah, anybody who contacts you, anything that pops up on your screen and says, your computer's damaged, click here. Never, 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 never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. Yes, let's provide some useful information on this podcast. Uh, That would be the most useful thing that you could learn from us today, probably, is don't click on those things that pop up and tell you your computer's infected or you answer a phone call and somebody tells you, I want to talk to you about your computer. And you want to contact either Microsoft or Apple or whoever is the manufacturer of your operating system and use a known safe phone number or web address instead of being buffaloed into responding to a phone call or an alert that pops up on your screen. That's almost always going to be a fake that's going to try to trap you. In fact, uh, I'll just say it's always going to be a fake until you could verify it by other means if you want to pursue it. Right. Yeah, if you've actually installed some uh, software that's meant to detect infection, you might possibly see something. But again, unless you really know what you're doing, don't take any quick action. Right. You're just setting yourself up for trouble. And certainly don't contract for any services that uh, somebody says, well, for $250, we can clear up your computer for you. One of the tricks that these guys use is they'll say, well, you could take your computer to um, Apple or to uh, Office Depot or whatever, and it'll cost you about $500. They say this in order to make you feel like they're being objective and reliable. Mm. And you react by saying, oh, that's an awful lot of money. So, oh, well, uh, if you prefer for only $250, we can fix it right here online. And that seems to work for a lot of cases. Uh, well, it's a sad situation. I guess it survives because it does work, as your AARP article points out. It's the uh, client care experts was one in Florida that had 100,000 victims before it was finally shut down and took in more than $25 million. Oh, dear. And as soon as they shut one down, another one pops up. They're just extremely common. Mm. All right. Well, that's a schnook. Don't be a schnook. Yeah, Yiddish slang. How about a UK English term, prat? Yeah, I used to see this insulting somebody by calling him a prat, and I never knew really what it meant until I looked it up for this podcast. And it uh, actually, originally the word prat meant buttock. So a prat fall is when you fall on your butt, right? Yeah. Associated with humor. But in 1950s British slang, it came to mean an ineffectual or contemptible person, a fool or an idiot. Uh, Take us back where we started with this whole exploration. Yes. Okay. I didn't actually know that Pratt and Prattfall hadn't really thought about the relationship there, but it literally means to fall on your butt. Right. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's a lot of good terms for us to go through. A lot of lively words, a lot of interesting sounding words, and obviously a lot of thought put into many of these terms and uh, the way they've morphed over years. Very interesting. Maybe my biggest surprise is that oaf is related to elf. Yeah. Who would have thought? (laughs) Hadn't really thought about that one. Elves were smart enough to get rid of their dumb offspring, I guess. The elves were not stupid. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for walking us through this list of terms. We started off with uh, a New York Times article talking about the origin of the word idiot. And lo and behold, three episodes later, we've gone through a whole list with a whole bunch of interesting origins and twists and turns over the years. But we haven't even touched on adjectives like silly and dumb and son. I still want to talk about those, but we'll save that till next time. And we'll sign off for now. Okay, so long, Tom. Thank you, Paul. That's all for the podcast this week. As usual, you can send your comments and questions to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, buy the book. The Common Errors in English Usage book can be bought online at your favorite online seller at our website, wmjasco.com, with free shipping. Thanks for listening.